This podcast is brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. Voluntary principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the voluntary principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. Are you curious about unschooling? Do you want to know what unschooling looks like? Then visit our other website, unschoolingdads.com. There you will find interviews and testimonials by many unschooling dads. You may also download the book, Unschooling Dads, for free, or purchase it in paperback at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Are, are you there? Yeah. Sorry, my my tab was muted for this. <laughs> I, I gave permission to use the microphone and everything, but the, the tab was muted. I saw it was connected, and I'm like, why Why aren't I hearing anything? This is strange. Technology, you got to love it. All right, so I, I think this will work. Um, yeah, let's do that. Okay, great. This is this is kind of a melding of the, the new and the old, right? Because I'm using Google Voice, right, like the, the, the website interface, but I'm calling a landline. Yeah. So that's kind right. of fun. Yeah, well, I'm kind of a melding of the old and the new myself. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. Um, all right, so what I was saying before is is – you know, I'm glad. I'm glad you're here in 2021. It, it, you know, uh, I, I, me and my wife lost a couple of people, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, how, how's it been for you? Well, other than uh, being stuck out here in the boonies and not getting to see people very often, uh, like my family, my grandkids, and things, uh, it's been okay. Uh, we, we moved out here in the country to get away from things, so I guess we've succeeded in that regard <laughs> uh, but nobody uh nobody in the family has uh taken sick uh so far so i guess that lynn and i are the two most likely in the family because uh, we're both old and lynn is a survivor of breast cancer and congestive heart failure uh, and she's always uh uh, given credit to our moving to the farm, the fact that she's a, sur a survivor of both of those uh, maladies. So, yeah, yeah, she's she's probably pretty high risk. And you guys, you guys, it sounds like you're out there and you're not around a lot of other people right now. Which that's right. I guess it has its benefits, but it also has its costs. Yep. Yeah, it's it takes. Uh, Takes about a half an hour, half an hour to get into town from here, uh, so we got we've got to have a good reason for going. So what it, what has um, Kentucky been like as far as the rules that they've imposed? Well, I am pretty much unaware of rules. I have uh, several months ago I watched the governor daily on his uh, news conferences and. He never did mandate anything, and uh, now if he has, I don't know about it. Uh, 
So everything I do in regard to COVID is voluntary. And uh, I, I've had some problems. Uh, there, uh, It seems like my, uh, my uh, e-group, the people that I correspond with regularly on uh, Facebook, mm-hmm. they... Uh, they're kind of split down the middle as to uh, what they, well, politically about masks and taking care of yourself and that kind of thing. So, uh, but I've never seen uh, what looks like a mandate here in Kentucky, I've, and and that's as a as a result of the governor not mandating anything for a long time, and then if he has. Since then, I haven't watched it. Therefore, I might be in violation of something, but I don't know about it. <laughs> well, we're always in violation of something, right? <laughs> yeah. I really identified with uh, you're, you're talking about a rolling stop. Um, that's, kind of the, that's kind of the person I am. Uh, <laughs> I, I stop if there's a semi coming my way, and if there's nothing but a squirrel, I go ahead. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, it's, uh, um, yeah, that, that's kind of interesting. I mean, it, other than, you know, putting a mask on my face while I'm working and when I go to the grocery store, um, my life had, you know, didn't really change too much, mostly because yeah. the type of work I do, you know, delivering food is, I mean, there were some changes there, you know, at first it's like I had to wait outside and call them and they'd bring the food out. That didn't last very long. Yeah. Um, and then it, yeah. and then it went to masks, but, um, we didn't, you know, my kids don't go to school at all. So, you know, they, they just sure. continued on their life pretty much as usual. They did, they did lose, you know, playing with some friends that they played with, um, in person. I mean, a lot of yeah. their friends are online and that just kind of continued normally as well. So, well, I've got, uh, two granddaughters and two great grandchildren that have, uh, been homeschooled for about a year um, by by default, um, yeah. and uh, everybody keeps talking about uh, how that's damaging to them. And I'm I'm damned if I can figure out how that works. So <laughs> yeah, I uh, and, but I keep I keep in close touch with them, and uh, I always ask them uh, if they're uh, learning anything. What, like I ask them all the time, did you learn anything today? And uh, that reminds me uh, earlier today, I guess it was, I read on Facebook uh, somebody uh, inquired as to whether, uh, oh, I'm losing my thread here. Um, they were inquiring, oh, they inquired about why we keep on going uh, when we're old. And uh, I figure if you've got that attitude that you've got a problem. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, uh, the human being is the world's greatest learning machine. And uh, I keep on learning every day. And I don't see any stop to it. And as long as I'm still learning new things, uh, I'm good to go. Even, uh, you know, even if I get COVID and, and check out, I will be learning right up until the last minute. So, but I've always been inclined that way. I've always been optimistic about living, maybe pessimistic about uh, the life around me, but I've been optimistic about living and learning. 
Well, that's good. I there there is a dictum in in sort of the unschooling homeschooling world that living is learning, right? If if you're alive, yeah. you really can't help but learn. I mean, you know, obviously right. it might not be anything too heavy most of the time, but if you're if you're living, if you're breathing, then you are experiencing, and if you're experiencing, then you're learning. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think maybe when I was in my uh college days and in my early 30s that I thought I was retired from having to learn anything. But <laughs> in fact, I was still learning. Uh, I couldn't help it. It, you know, from the time you get up until the time you finish your dreaming for the night, uh, you're learning things. Well, well, just as a little exercise, what decade was that when you were in your 30s? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I think it was the 70s. 70s. Let's see, I was born in 1943, so it would be after uh, 73. Okay, so so the 70s is just before um, the computer revolution, right? The 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 uh, invention of the desktop PC, right, in the 80s. Right. And then the internet in the 90s and just an explosion. So you would have, you would have had just, just by getting along in the world around you, you would have been confronted with, with these brand new things that you'd never seen before, never touched before, never heard yeah, of before, right. and been forced to, you know, probably just really just as a matter of continuing to make your living, having to to learn what these things are and how to use them. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, things have been at a, a very great pace, but mostly it's uh, in the background, and you move at your pace. And uh, I think the the human that natural law dictates that you keep up, <laughs> and uh, I, I've uh, I've kept up as far as I know. I've I've kept up with everything I want to keep up with. So yeah, yeah, and I you know we we met a few years ago, and it was online, and we've connected online, and yeah, I don't think there's a lot of people, uh, a lot of your contemporaries that that actively meet new people over the internet and have conversations and discussions and even relationships with them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I got involved in this, um, OSER lifelong learning Institute about the, about this time I started, uh, uh, working with everything voluntary mm -hmm. and, uh, that's been a real, uh, a real eye opener for me, and most of the people there are similar. You know, mm -hmm. most of the people involved in the local effort are University of Kentucky or Transylvania people, or people in uh, fairly high flown uh, professional areas that have, for whatever reason, moved into the bluegrass of Kentucky. But they're all very positively oriented toward knowledge and i don't uh, i don't really want to live in a world that's not oriented toward knowledge and uh, so far i haven't had to right so so is it safe to assume that the uh the lifelong learning um asher you said that you've been involved with has that been non-existent during this or has it moved to like an online format no we've done zoom meetings okay uh it, it took us about three or four weeks to, to gear up and get moving. But after that, uh, as a matter of fact, 
I think that some of us probably feel like it's an improvement on things. Uh, so uh, I don't I don't have to wear a mask or not yeah. uh, when I'm meeting on Zoom, and I don't have to comb my hair <laughs> necessarily, which is which is a good thing. My hair is about two inches longer than it's ever been or <laughs> has been for a long time. So yeah, uh, I normally went to the barber shop and got everything mowed off. And uh, now I've got hair everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, I think that uh, it, we're just, we're actually sloughing off some of our old uh, patterns uh, with this uh, shutdown. I hesitate to call it that. So I haven't been shut down, but then I'm, of course, I'm retired, and uh, I it, it's during this past year that it has become official that I'm retired from uh, the community college that I taught at. But that's just as well. I didn't want to go into into the live campus classroom environment at all after this started up. No. You mentioned your hair. I've been uh, I've been growing out. Um, you probably caught a glimpse of me when we were trying to connect through video before. I've yeah. been growing out. I'm I'm going to grow my hair out again. I had it really long for a while, and then I cut it off a couple yeah. years ago. And I'm going to grow it out again because my my six year old daughter was looking at old photos when she was just born. When she was a baby, I had long hair, <laughs> and she's she wants me to grow it again, and. Much to the lamentation of my wife, I'm actually growing my beard as well. I just, I really want to, I want to see, I want to see what I see when I let my beard grow out and see, see where it goes. I'm, I'm curious what kind of creature this is going to create, <laughs> you know? Well, I grew a mustache back in the seventies uh, mm -hmm. and uh, the reason I grew it is I was a big fan of Jim or Larry Zonka and Jim Kick, who the, were the old uh, uh, Miami Mariners or Florida Mariners or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so I was in support of their winning the Super Bowl, and they did. Um, yeah, Don Shula was the coach. Oh, the Dolphins. We're, yeah. we're talking about ancient history. Yeah. Uh, but then I kept the mustache for, oh, probably uh, 10 years. All together, and uh, <laughs> my daughter, uh, my younger daughter, saw my official picture for my employment, and she said she called me Gomez Adams after that. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, we ran across that photo a couple of couple of uh, months ago, and thought, "Oh gosh, that's terrible." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. My my father-in-law just he he's got kind of a striking appearance when you see him. He's really handsome. He's got bright white hair and he he uh -huh. when I met him he just had the the bright white mustache on his his dark Mexican skin and now yeah. he's got a full a full goatee mustache, a Van Dyke I think it's called. Um but it's this this sharp white and he's he's had white hair since I think his late 30s is when it turned white, but he wow. he's he's one of those people that look that look really good with a mustache. You know the the Sam Elliott type. You know. Yeah. 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 yeah well, if you can get away with it, uh, back when I wore a mustache, everybody had one. So. 
no big deal. My wife complained about it frequently, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my wife, my wife's, she's just, in, in few words, she's just not very attracted to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's... It's at the point right now where it's like all over my lips. And so, you know, when I try to eat it, it gets really dirty and it's, but I've got to hold strong. I really want to see where this goes. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know why we're talking about that. Well, I guess everybody goes through that phase. <laughs> yeah. So didn't like it at all. Let me ask you this. Um, a lot of people, I think, probably incorrectly are are saying that 2020 was the worst year um, we've ever had, or at least we've ever had in a long time. And I obviously there's examples of really bad years that, you know, don't even compare to that. I mean, we could just we could just go to 1918. Right. For that. Yeah. What what has been some memorable years in your life? Well, 1943 was memorable because that's when I made my first appearance on the planet. Uh, I don't remember much from there, but it seems like it was fairly eventful. It was during the war, and I lived in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and had a a few memorable adventures there that I I still draw lessons from. Uh, The most memorable thing being uh, that my mother uh, was uh, probably an early activist, but she came from Boston, Massachusetts, and she was kind of uh, liberal. And anyhow, she uh, sat in the back of the bus on the Chattanooga municipal buses. And uh, if you know anything about uh, uh, the South, mm-hmm. uh, you know that in 1945, for instance, that... Uh, Black people were lucky if they could even get on the bus, much less uh, move around the bus with free will. But my mother always went right to the back of the bus, sat down and struck up a conversation with whoever was there. And uh, I've always been influenced by that. My my father, on the other hand, was probably a a Dixie crab, uh, which... which, uh, Many of them have become, many Dixiecrats have become Republicans since then. And mm-hmm. uh, Kentucky is very strongly uh, in what we've been the way we are now ever since uh, Ronald Reagan and his uh, Southern strategy. We've been a very Republican area most of that time. But when I was growing up, we were not. We we had the problem of also uh, being part of the New Deal at that time, which was likewise a horror. Uh, but anyhow, we've had some very unusual uh, political milestones here. So the, what, the first thing I think of is uh, is I became very aware of the race problem early in my life. Mm-hmm. My mother being from Boston a Yankee and my dad being from uh, Southern Kentucky and he was definitely not a Yankee, but so, so how did, how did they, how did they um, get together? That's kind of interesting. Well, my dad went to UK, which was in Lexington 
and my mother went to Transylvania, which was which was in Lexington, and uh, they met somehow. Uh, it probably wasn't. There probably weren't more than four or five blocks between the two campuses, and uh, I don't know how they met, but uh, I do know that they met in Lexington in college at separate campus. It's unusual for uh, a Kentucky farm boy to get together with a uh, city girl from Boston, but yeah. I've I've been very lucky that I've had that background. I think it's unusual, and it, it has uh, contributed greatly to my intellectual life, I think. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. I'm just, you mentioned that your mom would sit in the back of the bus and strike up conversations. Did she ever get any, um, what's the word? I don't know, pushback or, uh, I don't know, persecution is the right word or not, but did she ever get uh, attacked by other, other whites for, for doing that? Well, Early when she started doing this, the bus drivers would try to prevent her or come back and try to talk her to into coming forward. But uh, I don't if if she had any other pushback, uh, she didn't let me know about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I, you know, Chattanooga is was not a a dad in the wall racist outpost. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, it probably just uh, was ignorant about race, except that uh, if you watch a movie from that time period or uh, read any history or uh, psychology or things like that, you you will see that there was a large part of the South that was pretty uh, pretty neutral about this stuff. The stuff that existed was just stuff that had existed for a long time, and uh, we didn't know a lot about, uh, let's say, lynchings or things like that at that point in time, although I'm sure there were some. We were right on the Georgia border, uh, but uh, it mostly uh, it was just kind of a, an uneasy easiness about the, about the culture there. Yeah, interesting. So... So did you spend all your childhood uh, growing up in Chattanooga? No, I left there when I was four years old. Oh, four. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, and moved to, well, first to Liberty, Kentucky, which is where my dad came from, and then to Lexington. And I've been pretty much a Lexingtonian for most of my life, philosophically. Uh, I've been uh, just down the road in Frankfurt for most of, most of my youth and my middle age and only in the last 15 years have I moved out here to the country. So, um, so what other years would you say are comparable to 2020 as far as, I don't know, the feel of it, the, the general, I mean, 2020 has obviously had a lot going on with, with COVID as well as with the, you know, over the summer with the protests and the riots and whatnot. Yeah. Well, the sixties were horrible. Yeah. We had, the war in Vietnam, we had the the uh, indignity of having LBJ as president. Talk about a, an oaf, probably the, the most oafish president we've had up until the current version. And uh, I was I was very much a uh, anti-war person. 
mm-hmm. back in that time. I was in college and was uh, on the on the cusp of becoming a young parent, and I didn't want to go to Vietnam, and I didn't have to because uh, they recognized that I was a father. I, uh, my my first daughter came along uh, about when I started graduate school. Uh, they uh, gave me a draft deferment, but they also extended my draft exposure to the age of 35 from that point. Uh, now, I I get a little bit uh, uh, amused by people who uh, w- w- think that they're being free or intellectual or something about whether they wear a mask or not. And uh, I, I often think if they went back and were subject to the involuntary draft in this country, what would they think about that? And I, I very much am an anti-imperialist and very much a uh, anti-militarist. So uh, life's been pretty much a tough go. Most of my life, as, as far as I can do. But the, the late 60s were definitely a time of uh, great concern and uh, having to do things that you really didn't want to do. What, did, you, what, did you have any sort of plan? Had you been drafted or, or what were you planning on doing if, had, had that come down? Okay, I, was, uh, I never was drafted, right. uh, but I had to register in uh, downtown Frankfort, Kentucky, uh, when I was 18. And uh, I, uh, because I went to college, they uh, kept renewing my draft status yearly. And it uh, wasn't until I got married and then we had a child that uh, they removed me from active status to uh, deferred status. And I, well, that's it's a little bit more complicated than that. But mm-hmm. I was in Air Force ROTC uh, in my college years, and uh, I was uh, pretty much uh, on my way to joining the Air Force. Uh, but uh, with uh, unbeknownst to me, I had to go to summer school for one or three courses to graduate, and the uh, Air Force kindly let me know that that put me into the wrong fiscal year and they they couldn't uh, make room for me in the next fiscal year. Hmm. And so they gave me a uh, convenience discharge. So I was not on active duty, but on uh, ROTC status throughout my college career. And uh, then when... when, uh, I graduated from college and uh, then went to grad school, and I got a temporary deferment for grad school. And then we had our our daughter, and they gave me a father deferment at that point. So, uh, no, you you asked me if I had a plan. Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't plan to go, for instance, to Canada or anything like that. I just uh, was kind of uh, going along with the flow. Except that I was uh, a fairly active uh, anti-war mm-hmm. type person. So it's one of the things that really attracted me to libertarianism in the first place was the, the uh, problems that we have spending such 
unbelievable amounts of money on being uh, the number one military power in the universe. So uh, I, I, I had a problem back when I was in my 30s uh, because I was under immediate danger, uh, immediate exposure to, to, to uh, death. Uh, but uh, over the years, I tended to hang on to that. I tended to hang on to my distrust of government. Beyond that, almost complete cynicism about government. So uh, it's it's kind of a smooth trip, but I've become much more principle-oriented since mm-hmm. in the last 15 years, let's say. You mentioned the money um, that is spent by the U.S. on, you know, military, its uh, military infrastructure and its militarism. I thought it was kind of interesting, this last um, spending bill yeah. that, that they pushed through, really, it really seemed to get more attention out, you know, far outside of libertarians. I mean, these always have a way of getting attention in libertarian circles where they'll, they'll point out the pork and whatnot and say, look at all this money being given to all these different people and countries and whatnot. But it actually seemed to get traction and attention outside of libertarian circles. Right, because everybody, everybody wanted a fatter paycheck, yeah, and they wanted you know two thousand or whatever, but they were only getting six hundred, so that caused a lot of people to say, "Huh, I wonder, I wonder where our extra fourteen hundred dollars is going that we're not getting." Let's yeah. look closer at this. Yeah. So I was kind of, I was kind of glad to see that attention. Of course, you know, I mean, some people might be pushed in our direction from that, and, and others probably won't be, but. I thought that was interesting. Well, you know, the funny thing about it is that the situation is so much more horrible than it was uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, It's just, it's beyond belief now. I mean, when you talk about $24 trillion, uh, we're nuts. We're just crazy. Uh, We don't have that money, so we just uh, produce monopoly money. And uh, we tell everybody that, uh, oh, you can trust us, uh, and uh, we're going we're gonna to stand behind our obligations. Well, that's crazy. It's impossible. <laughs> uh, they, they're just beyond control. Uh, and I, I, you see it all the time. You see any particular group, and you give them an inch, and they'll take a mile. Uh, it's human nature. And... Uh, this uh, this COVID situation has only demonstrated that. I, I was appalled when they came out with the first relief checks. And uh, I wanted mine, but uh, I didn't want uh, for my grandchildren to have unbearable debt because of it. Uh, now, we I know that the government could shut down today and probably meet all of its obligations for maybe a year, a couple of years. Uh, and I wish they would do that, but uh, uh, we're getting into this horrible hole, and it it seems like we're just uh, hardened to it. Uh, we've seen it going on for so long, and, you know, uh, pushing the envelope is way beyond anything. We thought that Franklin Delano Roosevelt was... was uh, 
financially uh, irresponsible, but uh, that's just a drop in the bucket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it doesn't even compare. I was no. I saw a graph that showed something like thirty eight percent of all M one money supply money stock, the M one money supply, whatever yeah. that means, in circulation was created this year alone. Thirty eight percent of it. Wow. It, I mean, it's just it just goes along, and there's been a lot of it, you know, since 2008. But yeah. then it just jumps up for this year, and no, nobody, nobody right now, especially my age and younger, we don't, we don't really understand what inflation is, right? We've we've yeah. seen the photos of you know from Zimbabwe or from Weimar Germany or whatever of of the wheelbarrows full of cash, and they're right. going to the the store with that. Or it's littered the street, but we don't really have any conception because we haven't lived decades and decades and decades and seen hamburgers that used to cost a nickel and now they cost two dollars. You know? Yeah, I I went to a, a drive-in restaurant today and and it cost me eight dollars and sixty cents to get away from it, and it wasn't uh, it wasn't an extravagant meal, uh, but that's crazy. Just crazy. So you you I, probably remember when hamburgers were closer to a nickel. Yeah, I'm sure the ones I had uh, in Chattanooga were probably somewhere between a nickel and fifteen cents. Um, I know that in the early fifties, when I used to go downtown in Lexington, Kentucky, that uh, it was a nickel to go to a movie, and uh, it was a nickel to ride the bus. And that may have been because I was so young, but nonetheless, I could go downtown with less than a dollar and entertain myself all day long. And it, it's just not like that anymore. Uh, but we were starting on the, well, actually, we'd been in, the, in a couple of decades in this irresponsible fiscal uh, thing where politicians just think they can spend any amount of money in it doesn't make any difference because we'll all forget about it. Uh, but, you know, I, I look uh, at the start of the income tax and the start of uh, uh, paying for war uh, is uh, back in the 19-teens. But uh, we, we were just getting started in the 40s. Now it's just beyond belief. I don't think... Uh, we could have convinced anybody what it was going to turn into. Yeah. So we've got definitely we have we have inflation. That's that's what inflation is. It's it's uh increasing the size of the money supply. So we have, you know, 38% inflation. We have that. Yeah. But the effects yeah. of inflation on the price, you know, on various prices, goods and services and whatnot. Right now, <laughs> right now this is all in asset prices, right? They've just gone through the roof. So yep. much so that now, now I, I guess Elon Musk is now the richest man of the world because Tesla stock has gone so high. Yeah. So you know, paper paper wealth <laughs> is what I call it has has pushed him to the top of that list, and uh, well, poor, we, poor Jeff Bezos a, gets overpassed. <laughs> we have such a terrible problem, even understanding what facts are, uh, and uh, we we treat information as though it's slippery and slimy. And so no wonder you can uh, hoodwink 
millions and millions, hundreds of millions of people uh, with uh, lies about the, the economic well-being of the of the system. Uh, no. it's, it's really bad. Um, I want to interject here. There are two things that I would like to be sure that that we talk about a little bit. Yeah. Uh, and I see it's a little bit after eleven thirty. Um, two, the one of one thing is a show that I've been watching on uh, PBS for oh several maybe a couple of months now. And the other thing I want to talk to you about is a discussion that you had with another guest recently about how many good people there are out there. Maybe it was today. Um, oh yeah, I, I think I was. Yeah, it was. That was an unpopular oh, you opinion were that doing I was the talking Reddit about. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, first of all, on this PBS thing, it's a it's a show that was actually made in uh, Germany, I believe, and it's it's fairly recent. It's maybe in the last year or two. And it's called uh, Line of Separation, and uh, it's about a little town that ended up, after the partitioning of Germany, ended up being in the Soviet sector mm. uh, with a line that ran right through the middle of the town. And so part of the town is uh, German and part of it is East German. And uh, this, uh, talk, this shows quite clearly what states do to people. Um, they're uh, marking up the, the ground and dividing it up a certain way and then dictating to people in by what zone they live in what their approach is going to be to farming or living or getting married or any of the things that people normally do by natural law uh and uh, anyhow it's it's a very very compelling show called uh line of separation and uh, I had no appreciation whatsoever for what was happening to people caught right on those lines uh, and uh, it's pretty terrible uh, there's some parts of it that are very hard to take uh, but I've, I've become very interested in this recently because I joined a group in in Facebook that is dedicated to supporting secessionists around the world. Uh, mostly, they're dedicated to fighting against the colonialism that's been part of our problem since uh, 1600s, at least. Uh, and uh, so colonialism is a real problem. But this also ties in with a very modern concern of mine, which is what they did at... Uh, uh, the meeting, Yalta, the Yalta conference mm. at the end of World War II, mm -hmm. uh, where they divided the world up yeah. <laughs> uh, among the Allies. And one of the horrible things we did is we gave about 50% of Europe to uh, Stalin. And uh, it's, you know, what has been done to those people as a result of that uh, is horrible. It goes on, but there was a big sea change in 1988 when the, I believe it was 88, when the wall went down in Berlin. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's, it's a horrible, shameful uh, 
era in our history, and it goes on. Uh, I am I'm a real uh, nut about Yalta and some of the agreements that were made there, but the, the Russians were treacherous, the Soviets. and uh, But that doesn't mean that uh, Churchill wasn't treacherous and uh, FDR wasn't treacherous. Uh, they were. <laughs> but yeah. uh, the fact that those those three egos, Stalin, FDR, and Churchill, could sit down and cold-bloodedly divide the world up into armed camps, and we live with it yet today. So then the other item is that uh, you were talking about that uh, somebody was optimistic about people, that people are basically good, and that there are some bad people who spoil the the mix for us. Well, they they get all the attention, and so you know, you yeah. turn on the news or whatever, you just you just see nothing but bad people all over the seem seemingly all over the place. But it's yeah. such a small yeah. minority. That's that's true. But I am also concerned about from a, from a long term naturalistic point of view is that most people are kind of uh, greedy and self uh, interested. Uh, but they very easily give up uh, care about being that way. Uh, I've got a, a thing that I call the meat puppet theory that uh, using the old Pareto principle, the 80-20 mm-hmm. split, I say that uh, 80% of, the, of human beings are just meat puppets, uh, pretty much being born, struggling, and then dying. Uh and they they are that way because they don't have any greater uh, ability than that. Uh, they're not taught that in the schools. They're not uh, not led in any constructive way. Uh, they're mostly uh, receptors for uh, bad ideas, and they act on them. Then um, among the remaining 20%, 80% of that group uh has screwed themselves up one way or the other with drugs or bad relationships or uh, they're under uh, under bad states, under bad government. Uh, and so then that leaves, uh, that takes care of 96% of the human race. And I think that there's probably only a small strain of 4 to 5% that are really kind of with it. They disagree among themselves. So it's, we can say most people are inclined for selfish reasons to, to be good, uh, because of the, the social mores that we have. But it would be extremely difficult to find anybody that was 100% good or 100% evil. And, uh, I know I think of myself as being a good person, but I also can think of some illustrations of times when I wasn't. Uh, so it would be very, very unusual to find somebody that is 100% good. And therefore, I don't think you can say that uh, human, the human race is essentially good. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I think you make some pretty good points. I mean, the other, the other trouble with that, I didn't, I didn't really get into it all was, you know, whose idea of the good and whose idea of yeah. the bad should we 
even, you know, should even be our standard when measuring yeah. that. Yeah, that's right. I agree with you. Man. Uh, so anyhow, I, I made these two interjections that I wanted to be sure to make while we were talking today. And one of them is that excellent production about the, uh, uh, essentially the entire period. The the thing covers a timeline from the uh, end of World War II through to, oh, let's say, the early 21st century. Uh, and uh, shows the effects on those people of people uh, in uh, people separated from them, people uh, that have no particular emotional attachment to those people. They make decisions for those people that they have to live with for the rest of their lives. And uh, it's uh, kind of horrendous. Yeah. No, I, I, while you were telling me about it, I looked it up on the PBS website. So I'll link to that. I'll even check that out myself. That looks really good. Did you, um, do you have access to HBO? No, I may have it from time to time. If, uh, well, I can't remember direct TV. If DirecTV gives me a, a free month or something like that to try to lure me into paying for HBO, I might see something from time. Well, if 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 that if that happens, or if one of your kids or grandkids has has a subscription that they can share with you, <laughs> yeah, then then log into that, and there's a really good miniseries called Chernobyl, which is oh, all about yeah. the Chernobyl um, accident. And it uh-huh. was really well well made. Yeah, I think you'd well, really my, like it. My wife worked for uh, the, the uh, governmental association across all the states mm-hmm. for the, uh, uh, the radiation control programs, and uh, she she's actually met some people that played direct roles in the Chernobyl incident, and has met some other people who've been documentarians of that. So yeah, I mean that would be very interesting. Yeah, well, I mean this this new HBO Max streaming service is all the rage right now. So I I can't imagine one of your one of your family members doesn't have a login that they could share with you at least temporarily. I think it's like six one hour episodes. It's not very long. Uh huh. Well, uh, I I have gotten very interested in the last couple of years in Netflix's uh, The Crown. Oh yeah, my wife and I watched that. That that's yeah. been really interesting as well. It really, <laughs> it it really makes you. It's really well made. Let me, tell me your thoughts in a second. It's really well made. Well, here you start with your thoughts. I don't want to. I don't want to steal your thunder. <laughs> well, no, I just uh, yeah, I agree with you that it's absolutely one of the best productions that you'll find on television. Uh, but uh, the and the acting is phenomenal, um, but it uh, definitely heightens my resentment of the colonial uh, movement in the world and the the imperialistic uh, movement and those kinds of things. So I, it pretty much uh, tickles my confirmation bias uh, <laughs> about uh, and, and as though an Irishman. Uh, bears any other kind of animus to toward the English. <laughs> uh, but it's wonderful, a wonderful uh, production, and it doesn't pull any punches about what really might have happened. 
Yeah, yeah, we're we're still. I think we still have a couple episodes left of the this most recent season with uh, Margaret Thatcher and Princess Diana and everything going on yeah. there. But it it really it it's really yeah it it doesn't um it doesn't. Uh, did you ever watch uh, Downton Abbey? Did you ever watch oh, that yeah. series? Yeah, that series did a really good job of making both classes of people. Right, the 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 lords and ladies, the nobility, as well as the working class, it really made you sympathize with both of them. Right, it showed you yeah. their triumphs as well as their struggles and their their strictures and whatnot. Yeah, this this one this one hasn't done. I mean, I guess it has a bit, especially when it comes to like you know true love true love lost type of stuff. But otherwise, it hasn't done as well a job as Downton Abbey of really sympathizing, uh, causing sympathy with these people. It really is just like, you don't, I don't, you know, you don't hate these people. I mean, there are some scenes where they're kind of insufferable the way they, you know, behave towards, you know, non-royals. But it, 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 at the same time, it's just like, what, what, what is the point here? What, what, why, why do, why are these people here? I mean, it, it's, it, you know, I don't, I don't begrudge anybody for, having, you know, personal private property and wealth and whatnot, but that's not really what's going on here, right? They're living off of the public, you know, yeah. it's just kind of, it's just kind of silly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I saw both the upstairs and the downstairs groups in Downton Abbey as victims of right. a system that the system uh, made demands of both sets of people, different kinds of demands, but, uh, treated them as pawns in the game and uh yeah i thought it, it was it, down the abbey was terrific uh yeah once we once my wife and i started watching that uh we never missed it after that and uh caught up pretty quickly did you see the movie that they released yeah. i think a year or two ago yeah 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 it good. was uh, uh we have a restoration movie theater in frankfurt not far from here mm -hmm. and uh they they showed that movie in that theater, and so it was. I I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I didn't enjoy it as much as I did the television series, though. Yeah, it just it just, it just felt like you know another double episode. It really had yeah. the same feel and quality and everything to it. It was just you know a bigger screen. I I think it did well enough that yeah. I think they're planning on making more of them. So that's yeah. that's kind of cool. Uh, but <laughs> that's one thing I've occupied myself with quite a bit is uh, television. Uh, during the COVID uh, era, uh, when is it going to end? We don't. Uh, well, let me let me make a recommendation. I don't know if you have access to it, but do you like uh, science fiction? Yes, uh, Robert Heinlein. <laughs> okay, this <laughs> I don't I don't know <laughs> I don't know how this compares to Robert Heinlein, but there is this series. It's on Net, uh, Amazon Prime now. It's called The Expanse, and it, season five just dropped, and I'm almost finished, or I'm, I'm all caught up. They release it weekly. Yeah. And it is probably one of the best sci-fi series you've got right now. Yeah, I have to do some electronic uh, handstands to uh, cajole my television into showing Amazon Prime. Hmm. Uh, my wife is an Amazon Prime member. Okay. Uh, but... Uh, we're we're not able to stream very well okay. here, and uh, so what I can do is I can download it to my phone, 
and then uh, I even forget what it's called. Uh, there's some other thing. Uh, cast it. Uh, yeah, cast it to one of our televisions. Okay. Uh, but it's been. I've just had a problem uh, getting around to setting it up. Uh, yeah, we're big fans of Bosch, for instance, okay. on uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah, it's called The Expanse. So it, okay. it takes place in our solar system, and it, it's humanity at a point where Mars has been settled, several um, bodies in the asteroid belt have been settled, and then uh-huh. it's like a couple generations after that, and there's all of these, you know, political squabbles between the different groups and stuff. But it's also, there's there's stuff coming into the solar system that's potentially, you know, extra-terrestrial, I mean... Yeah. I don't know if that's the right word, but that that's causing some problems too. So it's it's just fantastic, and like I said, they're they're five seasons on now, so you've got plenty of plenty of catching up to do there. Yeah. Okay. Well, I know I watch stuff on Netflix at my daughter's house, but the COVID thing has kind of uh, crossed that up a little bit. Uh, my daughter is a subscriber of Netflix, uh, but uh, yeah, if you shop around and you know people. Uh, I watched all of the Sopranos, for instance, because I knew somebody who would record it for me. <laughs> and uh, I watched the entire series because mm. of that. Uh, now, lately, I've gotten uh, really tied into Ozark as well mm. uh, from Netflix. Yeah. And there's some uh, freebies available that are also quite good. I think uh, Better Call Saul is mm. a phenomenal very good, yeah. yeah. And uh, also Fargo, up until the most recent year, has been wonderful. Well, all right, let's let's cut it there. We're at an hour, and I know it's later for you than it is for me. So, oh, I've gotten. You know, it used to be when I would uh, have Christmas break at college that I would get all screwed up and stay up late at night and sleep until noon. <laughs> and I've done the same thing with this COVID business. Yeah. So it's still early in the day for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, all righty, Jim, this was fantastic. I mean, anytime you want to come and chat about, you know, the goings on or, or whatever, you know, just, just schedule it and we'll connect. Okay. That sounds great. Uh, I, it, even though we did have to jump through some hoops of fire early on tonight, uh, the technology is getting much better. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and this this I mean you're coming in you're coming in great now, so this this worked well, so we'll we'll just stick with this, I guess. Cool. So all right, have a good night. All right. Skylar, I'll see you. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Please send your comments and questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail dot com. Please consider supporting this podcast and everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EBC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary. Will you do us a big favor? Will you rate and review this podcast wherever you're listening from? That really helps. And one more thing, please share the podcast with your friends. We really appreciate it.